we can do things a little bit differently this morning. Um, I think we're all feeling a little bit friendly, aren't we? Feeling friendly? <laughs> some people are really panicked. I'm not going to make you speak to somebody next to you, don't worry. Um, it's been amazing worshipping this morning, um, but I also recognise there's a few of us that are maybe feeling a little bit conflicted between the joy that we experience in terms of the presence of the Holy Spirit with us whilst we're worshipping, and then also like what we left behind those doors as we walked in this morning. Um, fun little psalm fact. Um, the majority of our psalms are, are songs of worship, but 70% of them are songs of lament. The, the, the majority of them were written in times where things weren't really going great. Um, so if you're feeling conflicted in that, just know that. We'll unpack that a little bit more. But what I'd like to do this morning is I've got a big chunk to read. Um, don't have to read it, but I want us to read it. Um, so if you've got a Bible with you, it's going to appear on the screen, but you might want a Bible with you. If you've got a Bible with you, we're looking at Acts 16 today. We're going through verses 19 to 40. Um, What we're going to do is I'm going to read it, and as I read it, I'd like you to to focus in on the words. And there might be a particular phrase, there might be a particular verse, there might be a feeling that strikes you, that sits with you as we go through this. So I'm not going to rush through it. This isn't the talk, by the way. This is just going to get us ready. Um, Hopefully, God will spark a bit of that passage to you, for you. Um, So as we read it, hold on to that, and then the band are going to come up, they're going to sing. And you might just want to dwell on that verse, that phrase, that passage as we sing, as I talk, if you get a little bit bored, rather than doing your Tesco shopping list. Um, Just think about that verse, because, yeah, the whole point of this morning is... Is, is thinking about how God can break into our world as we look at Paul and Silas and the, the situation that they're in, how God can break into, well, how God broke into their world, but also for us today, how God breaks into our world. So let's have a quick look at this. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, you're going to be a little bit stuck. It should be on the screen. It's coming on screen. It flashed. Sorry, I've taken over. Here we go. So should we read this? I'll, I'll read it out loud. And yeah, just focus on the words. Maybe something will stand out to you. You might want to make a little note of it. You might want to make a mental note. This is the beginning. This is, we're starting at verse 19. We are. We are. Sorry, Chris. Um, it is halfway through. Um, we'll get into it. So when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. By advocating the customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. 
Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw that the prison doors opened, he knew... He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul and Silas shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. Then the jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And at the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and had a meal for them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release these men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And they threw us into prison. And now they feel, and now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escort them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. I'd encourage you just to, to flick over those passages again, maybe, maybe pray about, maybe think about, maybe note down that one or that phrase that stood out to you. Um, it's just for you. I'm not going to ask you to share it, but hopefully there's something in there that stood out to you. Um, and you can do that whilst you sing. You can do that stood up whilst you sing. You can do that sat down whilst we sing, but I'd encourage you to do that. Um, just out of interest, did anyone have a, a bit? I'm not going to ask you to share it. You just put your hand up. Did anyone get a, a, a section of that passage sort of stand out to them or, or prompt them? Or you can do a little small hand if you're feeling a bit shy. Um, My chains fell off. There we go. Brilliant. Good stuff. So we're going to unpack this a little bit more um, this morning. Liz was speaking last week on the verse just before this, and she said something amazing, and I'm going to copy it. Well, I thought it was amazing. Um, she was talking about how when we do these talks, we often throw a lot of Bible at you. Um, and unapologetically, we will throw Bible at you. But the point of throwing these verses or getting you to look into them isn't so you can become biblical experts for the sake of being a biblical experts, so you can talk about sort of, you know, second century Philippi if you really wanted to or, or whatever. The whole point of this is so that God will speak through the verses, through our worship songs, through our prayers, and hopefully through the person standing in front. It is another way of God speaking into our lives. That's why we carry these words on our phones or in our, in our books, if you're a little bit old school, and bring them with us to church on Sunday. And that's the whole point of, well, that's what we're going to focus in on 
today. Um, Yvonne, it's not coming up on the screen. But what I'd like us to think about today is, do we expect God to break break? I've been working on motorbikes this week. Um, <laughs> different break. Um, do you expect God to break into your world? When you think about your life, your friends, your journey, is that expectancy, is there that expectancy that God will just push into those moments to, to change maybe your, your thinking, your direction, your priorities, your actions? That's a little question for you to dwell on. But a little bit of exegesis, if you love biblical background. I said we were not doing this just for biblical literacy, but there will be some important bits that we might need to know beforehand. So where we are today, the passage that we're, we're meeting Paul and Silas in is in the same place of prayer where Paul um, met Lydia. So as Liz was speaking last week, they met a lady called Lydia. They're, within that, they're, they're down by a river, um, and there's two important things to know about that. So the first one is, they're not in a synagogue, they're in a river. And that's quite important because you would only need 10 men to, to form a synagogue. So this is a small gathering, and it's not a male-heavy gathering, because otherwise it would be a synagogue, because it would be 10 men. And the other thing that's important to sort of think about, if you're interested in the geography of it, which you might be, you might not be, um, is that it's going to be pretty close to the city, so they're in water, um, or they're near a stream, and they're going to be near the city because of the Sabbath rules around walking. So this would have been a place of business. It would have been a place of prayer. And Paul and Silas are here talking to uh, Jews and God-fearing people, and they encounter this woman or slave. Uh, called, in the Bible, it says slave girl that's been possessed by a demon. Um, and Scott and I, we had a leadership away day this weekend. Um, and Scott and I were, were talking about this passage and laughing about it, because it's quite interesting. If you can read and find humor in the Bible, this is just a little aside, sorry. I get excited by these things. Um, if you read about the story of Paul and Silas casting the demon out of this girl, and that's what sort of leads into this scene of chaos that we encounter as part of our verse today, they don't get rid of the demon, or they don't rebuke the demon within the girl in the same way that Jesus did. When you read the Gospels, when Jesus encounters a demon-possessed person, he recognizes the evil there, and he gets rid of it straight away. Um, whereas Paul seems to be a little bit more human, and he doesn't get rid of the demon straight away. He gets rid of the demon once it becomes annoying. So this girl was following him around, and it says in the verses that they were mock she was mocking them and, and basically just being quite sarcastic to them, and they got annoyed, and she kept following them, they got annoyed, and she kept following them. So in the end, they got rid of the demon. Um, it's just weird, isn't it? But anyway, because of that, they're beaten, they're flogged, they're stripped, um, and... My clicker's not working. Um, in verse 27 and 28... If you've got your Bibles out, um, you can look at it. If not, I will read it to you. Verse 27 and 28 are the bits that I really want us to focus in on, on this story. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison door as open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself, we are here. 
and it's just odds. I don't know if you're like me, when you read a Bible passage, if these questions just pop into your head, the whole story is odd, and we'll dig into that. They've been beaten for casting out a demon, so they've followed God's plan and something bad's happened, and you can sort of expect that because it's Bible times, but then they're in a jail and they're worshipping, and they're praising God, and hopefully, or you could imagine, they're asking for God's presence and spirit to be with them in this trying time. That happens, there's an earthquake, their chains fall off, the doors flow open, and they stay still. They don't run away. They don't think, oh, this is our chance, God has rescued us, let's go quick, because this isn't a nice place to be in. They stay still. And I guess, and we read on, and it's quite easy to presume because we know the ending, right? They stay on because they know that their job isn't done. It's like in that verse um, in the song that we were singing, they know there's more for God. There's more that God wants them to do. And not only do they do that, they then go and have dinner with a person that's been, held, been holding them captive in the cell. It's all quite strange. So if you're a noty person um, and you're taking sermon notes, this is a note for you. The goodness of God isn't dependent on our physical circumstances. I'm really sorry um, to break this to you if you're new. Um, but bad things happen. I know, it's terrible. And as Christians, we, we recognize that bad things happen. And in this story, it's quite obvious that bad things have happened. But God is still good. And it's a tricky one to get your head around. And I'm not going to do that for you today. But there's, there's a really helpful phrase that we use within the Christian world, and it's called the now and the not yet. So we recognize as Christians, if you flick to the beginning of your Bible, you've got Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They do the one thing God doesn't ask them to do. Sin enters the world. We live in that world. Paul and Silas are in that world. Today is that world. It's a world where God is and isn't. From leaving the Garden of Eden where we were in perfect, built harmony with God to this world where God isn't, we are in the now and the not yet. There'll be moments of our lives where we see the brilliant, amazing, powerful and wonderful work of God in our world, like Paul and Silas, when that whole prison shatters and falls and crumbles. It's the Holy Spirit at work in our world. But we don't see that all the time. There'll be times where we pray and our prayers aren't answered. There'll be times where we're desperate for God's presence and we don't see it or experience it. There'll be times where we just can't explain where God is. And that's the not yet. But God is still powerful. God is still good. But bad things still happen. And it's that... I guess the best way to describe it is um, to fill your, your libraries and your bookshelves with books from bigger thinkers to, to help you explore this issue. Sorry, I'm having an absolute nightmare here with notes and tables and scrappy bits of paper. But when we think about our life, our faith, our, our purpose on earth, who God wants us to be amongst this, there's times where we see God and the times where we don't see God. It's not just being resigned to that and putting it into like the oh well sort of pile of things. 
that we can't think about, because this affects our life, doesn't it? It affects us as humans, and it's probably, if you've been a Christian for a while, it's probably something that consumes your thoughts quite a bit. Why is God letting these things happen? Why am I crying when my prayers haven't been answered? Why am I suffering or seeing other people suffer? Why can't he fix this? And as Christians, our our mission, as it were, is to bring more of God to earth, to keep chasing after him, to keep seeking out the Holy Spirit, what God's doing, and to see more of the now than the not yet. I got married um, to Emma on the 27th of September in 2014. And I'm telling you that because I'd like you to make a note to remind me because I did have to look in my calendar. Um, I had to look in my calendar for that date. And, And we got married and it was lovely and stuff like that. But three, three or four days before we got married, um, we had to bury my nan. Um, my nan had died. Sorry, that's probably more important to say than saying we had to bury her. Um, my, my, nan, my nan passed away and we had the funeral four days before our wedding. And which, when you're in wedding mindset, is like a bit of a spanner in the logistical nightmare that is a wedding, you know. Um, and... And it was tough, and it wasn't because of logistics, because I don't really care about logistics, but it's sort of that fragile emotional state you're in when stuff happens, and you all feel, well, I felt quite weird and detached, and you're thinking, well, God, God had this plan for me. God put Emma in my life, and we're getting married, and this is all amazing, so why would this happen? And it's strange, but then I remember in the afternoon at the wedding as we were stood at the front of church, and we were getting married, and we were singing that it didn't feel as bad anymore. And that sounds fluffy and detached, and I hate it. And I'm not happy that I don't have the words to describe it properly. But I hope you're getting the sense of what I'm saying, is that, that God will break through when things are bad. Our, our circumstances, or if you to Look at that. The goodness of God isn't dependent on our physical circumstances. Things can be bad, and God can be good. And in those moments, we, when we lean into God, when we, we seek after what he's saying, when we surround ourselves with bigger thinkers, prayer partners, mentors, people like that, we will still and can still experience God in that. And I believe that's what Paul and Silas are doing in this. So if the verse that stood out to you when you were reading that was, and they sang or they worshipped, and you're thinking, flipping it, how did they do that? I think it's partly that. Also, I think it's partly this. That there's this weird sort of disconnect between God and, and life. And part of it's free will, part of it's full. Um, it's, we see it in the verse, don't we? They're beaten, but they still worship. The, they pray for God's presence. The prison walls fall down but they stay. There's a belief in who God is, but then there's struggles. And you see it with Paul and Silas, and it's tricky. And you think, why did they do that? How did they do that? Are they, are they better Christians than me? Do they have more faith than me? And I think ultimately it's built on this life of following God. There's a... I'll unpack that a little bit more because that's, again, fluffy and horrible. There's a really good book called The Singing Thing, and it's a good book. 
because it is a small book. Um, I can't tell you who wrote it, but the cover is blue. Um, and if you, if you dig through it, there's a really good verse in it, and it's towards the end, which is annoying, but the rest of the book is good, so do battle through it if you are sort of reading it. And it says, um, this just throws this line in there, the author throws a line in there, and it says, if you can't cry how long, can you sing hallelujah? And again, that sounds a bit abstract and weird, but it's coming from this point of, if your life isn't lived with God in the struggles, and this isn't to celebrate sin and fall and pain and suffering, but if, if we can't engage with our faith when things are going badly, then can we worship God? Can we experience all of God? Have we experienced all of God? Are we able to say, God is good when stuff is rubbish? Are we able to be beaten, stripped, and publicly flogged, even though we're not allowed to be because we're Roman citizens, put in the middle of a jail cell, stretched out so you can't sleep, and then go, I'm going to worship. Do we, do we recognize our, our default as Christians to worship God, to celebrate God? And it doesn't mean it's easy, and it doesn't mean it's natural, and it doesn't mean that we'll get it right every time. But I think this... This pattern that we see Paul and Silas go through, they had pretty rubbish lives. I think we can agree on that. And as we read that, I think some of us will experience times in our life where we can sort of emphasize with the rubbishness of life. But they continue to fall back to this pattern of worship. Last point for... I spelled break wrong again on the next slide. It's a good job Peter Farley isn't here, that's all I'm saying. Um, (laughs) Nothing on earth is significant when we compare it to God's presence. Um, If you've ever spent any time with me sort of in a Bible study, you'll know um, that I'm quite annoying. Um, One of my favorite books in the Bible is Ecclesiastes, and I'd only recommend that you read that book if you're in a good mood, because you won't be by the end of it. Um, (laughs) If you haven't got through to it, which I don't think a lot of us do, because we don't really prioritize it in Bible reading, because it is miserable, the book of Ecclesiastes basically talks about um, how rubbish everything is. It talks about sunrises, bird songs, work, friendships, relationships, all of this stuff, and, and, and it looks like somebody's just having a really grumpy rant, basically, whilst they're writing. But the whole point of this book is to point back to God, and when you think about Paul and Silas's experience in these verses, if you think about your life and how you live it and how you prioritize things and how you interact with things, go back and think about them like a little sort of flashback. Some of it's rubbish, some of it's good. Without God, all of it's rubbish. And that's what Ecclesiastes says. It's basically it's, it's putting in or it's highlighting the lordship of God over every element of our life. And when we look at our lives, and when we look at the lives of our friends and the people we're sat next to in church, God has made them or asked them or invited them to do some pretty weird and wonderful things. Things that aren't sort of directly linked to um, career success, self-preservation, or even... um, just sensible human living. People have done wacky and wonderful things, given up jobs, moved to places, um, spoken to strangers, allowed people into their homes because 
God has asked them to, because God's presence has been in that moment, and it's pushed them into that place. Nothing is significant when we compare it to to God's presence. It's about the lordship, the lordship of God. And that's what Paul and Silas recognize in that moment. That's why they're able to sing. That's why they don't run out of the jail when the walls fall down. It's why they keep chasing after God in that moment. But for us and our lives, when we think about it, and we're not going to get thrown in jail, and I hope you're not going to get thrown in jail, and I'm pretty sure you're not going to be publicly beaten or flogged. But as we live our lives that are a little bit um, safer, do we expect God to break into our world? Do we give those moments for God to break into our world? And maybe one of the verses from that passage that stuck out to you was the singing bit, or maybe 27 or 28, and you're trying to wrestle with what does that mean for you, I'd encourage you to, to find a friend or, or somebody next to you in church that would pray with you and help you unpack that a little bit more. But give moments for God to speak to you. Give moments for, for you to hear his voice, to hear his prompting, to, to let, him, let him speak into your life. Because I think that's ultimately what we can take away from this. Because nothing in it's logical. The, the casting out of the demon isn't logical. The staying in prison when the chains have fallen off isn't logical. The going to the house of the person that held you captive isn't logical. Going back to the jail in the morning just to prove a point isn't logical. And God sometimes asks us to be illogical, to take risks, to be brave. But before any of that happens, we have to make space for him to speak to us. Should we pray?